This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have nearly 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets. We are Star Trek. We are the Borg, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply. Boston Holodeck in the Podfleet Command headquarters here on good old Terra Prime. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I am excited to be here today. It's been a few weeks, so thanks for hanging in there with us. We are back with episode number 169. And today we're going to talk about something that uh, a seed that was planted in our ears several months ago. And of course, I did use a, a plural there, our ears, hmm. when I say hour, I do mean my co-host and I. You know, if the Hirogen ever took over our ship, this is probably the last person they would ever hunt after, because honestly, who wants him? Um, I, he would probably just be, you know, the, the, the last kid picked in any Hirogen hunt. He's the uh, the largely forgettable and, and really uninspiring Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy, and welcome back. It's good to have you back in that chair. Hi. Thanks. Good to be here. That was, really, to see that, was, that was really mean. Glad to see you're approaching the podcast with as much <laughs> zeal and excitement as you do every no, other time. No, uh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much, Bill. Um, it's been a while. Uh, before we get started, I just have to say thank you. And thank you to all of the people that have reached out to my wife and I for condolences on the passing of my father-in-law. Very much appreciated. Um, and also, it's great to have you back, buddy, because last week... You were heading for intensive care, I think, for a few minutes there. It was pretty bad. <laughs> I, uh, I had no voice last week. And that Blessing. turned into the f- Yeah, for all of us, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure my wife would say that. Um, and then it turned into the flu, and then it turned into bronchitis. So it's been a rough 10 days, almost two weeks for me. So it's yeah. good to be back feeling mostly normal and, uh, and looking as good as I do. You look fantastic, I got to say. Yeah, uh, it's been a couple weeks, so uh, it's good to be back in this chair for Trek Geeks. Uh, we have a conversation that we've been looking forward to for a while. And and like you said, this, this seed was planted several months ago when we attended a convention in Albany, New York, a Northeast TrekCon. Uh, we uh, welcomed a new fan into the Trek Geeks family that weekend, and, and we gave this young lady an assignment. We'll get into all of that in just a little while ago. So I'm very excited. We're going to be talking about Voyager's The Killing Game today. So uh, it's a two-part episode from season four, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a fun conversation, I'm thinking. 
You know, it's interesting. When I watched this this week, I don't ever remember seeing the whole thing when it was first broadcast. I'm pretty sure that, well, I honestly can't say for sure that I've, I've actually seen the, uh, seen it on television in its entirety. I, I think I've seen clips. I think I've seen segments of it. But this is actually, as far as I can tell, the first time that I've actually sat down and watched both episodes back to back. So for me, it was kind of like having new Star Trek, which was actually kind of interesting. It is interesting. You know, it's uh, one thing I was very surprised. We'd never seen Nazis in Star Trek before. So, you know, we get to see it for the never. first time. No, I know. Oh. It, was, it was really interesting. But yeah, we'll get into all that later. It's, it's, um, well, we'll talk about it now. Uh, we met, we met this person uh, in, at Northeast TrekCon, Emily, a very, uh, very nice young lady uh, whose dad introduced uh, her to us. It was her first time listening to Trek Geeks on the way up from Rhode Island to Albany, New York for this convention. And she's a big Voyager fan. So um, we gave her an assignment to let us know what her favorite Voyager episode was. And we would dedicate an entire episode to that episode of Voyager just for her. So here we are. Here we are. And in fact, Emily now, who is she herself, the co-host of her own Star Trek podcast, Legacy Trek with her dad, Mike, who is one of our producers now, which is fantastic. Unreal. Kind of neat neat how this all comes full full circle. Mm -hmm. Like the Lion King in the circle of life. Uh, Don't sing that. I won't. You had your your opportunity earlier. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of things you should sing out, Dan, how about giving our listeners their contact information so they can tell us their favorite Lion King songs? Absolutely. There's a lot of Lion King songs that that people would love to sing, but it is so easy to get in touch with us, everyone. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, where you will find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message, or you can even click on that giant big blue button on the right-hand side of the website and leave us a message with your very own Lulifluous voice using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the Trek Geeks official Facebook group, Camp Kinemer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,300 other friends to talk all things Trek. It's always positive talk. You're always welcome, and we welcome you over there. Don't forget every Friday or just about every Friday, it'll be the Friday commute celebration where Bill and I will do our weekly lip sync just for our campers. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to take part in a truly wonderful social experience. As always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, and Dan, for the amazing work they do over at the camp. And please do remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate that handoff. Nice job. I feel like it's, it's been a long time since I've said this one, but Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all does Star Trek's yo. It's treknews.net. Online 
at tracknews.net. Very nicely done. You haven't lost a, a step at all. Whew, I'm tired. You, you need to take a breath there? You need some oxygen? Kill Spock? <laughs> it's not what we came to welcome for, is it? Uh, Dan, up first, we are very happy and excited with the news that dropped earlier this week regarding Star Trek Discovery. As it makes its way through the halfway point of season two, we can look forward to more adventures after they wrap up the Red Angel storyline, can't we? Oh, yes, Bill. Much to the chagrin of the gatekeepers and haters out there, we are just ecstatic with the announcement that Star Trek Discovery has been renewed for Season 3. As CBS Access announced recently, subscriptions are far outpacing what they expected and attributes that to the overwhelming success, that's correct, the overwhelming success of Discovery. You know, I think that Season 3 was inevitable, and I am just thrilled beyond words and i'm sure you are too buddy uh i am i am so excited that there's season three we all knew there was going to be season three Mm. there's so many people going out there well they haven't announced it yet there's not going to be season three all kinds of tinfoil hat wearing idiots on youtube you know (laughs) saying that uh well you know they're going to cancel it because it's a failure and cbs all access hasn't taken off no no yeah why would we get five new star trek series um, because Discovery was a failure. That just makes zero sense. It's, so don't don't listen to the haters out there. Don't listen to the the people who think they have inside sources, and I'm using mm. air quotes. Um, if it doesn't get announced by CBS PR, it's not happening. Right. So season three, I can't wait. It's going to be, I, I can only imagine it's going to be even better than this season. One of the things that I was very happy to see, if I remember correctly, um, I don't have the article up in front of me right now, but if I remember reading, if I remember correctly what I read, the subscription numbers for CBS All Access right now are where they anticipated they would be in almost two years from now. So that's pretty phenomenal. And they said in this article that they attribute those numbers to the overwhelming success of Discovery. We loved season one. Season Mm -hmm. two is like way up here compared yeah. to season one and they are just outdoing themselves week after week after week, head on over to discovering track and check it out. If you want to get more details, but I'm, I'm just so happy that this is happening and I can't wait to see what stories are coming down the road. Same here. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go wild on you here and throw something in that's not on the outline, but oh it was also announced this week that Hanel Culpepper has been named the director of the pilot for the yet unnamed Star Trek Picard series. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is awesome because she will be the first woman to direct the pilot for a Star Trek series. And I got to tell you, she's she's done some work on Discovery. My hat is off to her. She's done a fantastic job. And I think that she is a fantastic pick to kick the... the she's going to do the first two episodes of Picard, I believe. A fantastic pick to launch that series, Dan. You know, it's just amazing. Uh, I mentioned this. I'm not sure if it was on our last episode of Trek Geeks or if it was on an episode of Discovering Trek. What we have seen with some of what's been going on with the fantastic women involved in Star Trek really makes me so proud and happy to be a fan. We got uh, Bowie Kim and Erica Lippo being uh, head uh, of the new Section 31 series. Their writing has been phenomenal on Discovery. And now we have this director who's going to be directing the premiere episode of the Picard series. Star Trek is in such good hands right now, and it makes me so happy. Well, she directed Vaulting Ambition from season one. She has Mm -hmm. another season two episode that is upcoming. She's also done episodes of a counterpart on stars, which is a fantastic show shooter on USA. Um, There's also how to get away with murder, Gotham, criminal minds, American crime. Um, 
she just she's done an amazing job. So uh, Alex Kurtzman said, Hanel is a gifted and dynamic filmmaker whose directorial choices are always deeply rooted in character. I've been a huge fan of her work since she started with this on Discovery, and she's the perfect person to reintroduce the beloved character of Picard to longtime fans and new viewers alike, and we couldn't agree more. So congratulations to her. We can't wait to see this show now for even more reasons. <laughs> Up next, Dan, we already know about the new animated Lower Decks series already in the works, but it appears that there's going to be another animated series, and it's not going to be on CBS All Access. No, that's correct. Not on CBS at all. Alex Kurtzman and and CBS TV Studios are currently in negotiations with Nickelodeon to expand the franchise with a new animated series. Written by the Emmy Award-winning duo Kevin and Dan Hageman. If I get that pronounced correctly, the new series will target a younger demographic than we've seen before. Um, the Hagman brothers are known for their works on the Lego movie, the Lego Ninja Go movie and Troll Hunters. So I really like the idea. We've talked before about how old do you want to be when or how old do you want your kids to be when they start coming into Trek? Now they're getting younger. We're going to have something on Nickelodeon possibly. I think that's a plus. I'll watch it. I- I'm going to say it right now. I think it'll be great. I'll watch it too. I don't know that we'll do a podcast dedicated to it. Um, True. We won't. Somebody may. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I'm excited to see, you know, Nickelodeon is one of those, you know, cable networks that is owned by Viacom, which is part ownership by CBS and CBS's parent company, National Amusements, which also owns part of Paramount Pictures. So, I mean, <laughs> this is all woven in between. It's still staying kind of within the family to some extent. But um, I, the way to reach kids is to put it on a channel that's that's out there. I mean, Kurtzman drew fire for saying that he didn't think Star Trek inspired kids the same way that Star Wars did. And I think that something like this is what he was talking about. He wasn't saying that Star Trek isn't inspirational. He was just saying that the content was never focused squarely mm. at them. Right. And if you look at the success Star Wars has had on that front, I think that this is a smart move. Absolutely. I, it'll be great to see um, more details about what uh, they're going to focus on, but... Uh, it's, it's something else to look forward in the Star Trek universe, and it seems that these days we have a lot to look forward to. Uh, without a doubt. We are also looking forward to Star Trek Las Vegas this August, or sorry, July and August in Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, it appears that STLV continues to build up with guest announcements, particularly from the Discovery world. And the latest announcement, Dan, is one that certainly you and I are both incredibly excited about. Uh, you think? Uh, yeah. yeah, I see photo ops in our future, uh, future, our future, uh, oh, podcast partner. Yeah, definitely in our future. Creation Entertainment has recently announced that the one and only Anson Mount, who of course plays Captain Pike in season two of Star Trek Discovery, will be heading out to the desert for the annual Star Trek convention. He will join fellow captains Kirk, played of course by William Shatner, and Janeway, played by the wonderful Kate Mulgrew who were announced earlier this year. Interestingly enough, though, Bill, Anson Mount is the only Discovery actor that has been announced for STLV so far. I think that'll change, obviously, but I I found that very interesting. I feel like they added the Discovery actors late both of the last two years. Mm. I think part of it's going to depend on the shooting schedule. There's a rumor that they may head back into production in July, I think. I don't know Mm. if that's confirmed or not. But that could impact their appearance at STLV and who can actually make it. So um, I, I'll, I'll be part of that photo op. Um, I'm not going to lie. Um, I love Anson Mount. I think he's been fantastic. I'm still on board with wanting a Pike series after all this is done. But I, somehow I don't think we're going to get it. 
I, I would love I would love to see him in a Captain Pike series. He has been the runaway star, I think, this year on Discovery. He's been fantastic. I I, I just love what he does. So we're going to meet him uh, in in July and August. I guarantee it. Um, Can't wait. Fi- finally, Bill, someone on this here podcast, this very here podcast, right here, this one here, uh, had an article published on the official Star Trek website recently. How about that? I, I know. Oh, it was, it was me. It was you. It was me. <laughs> I am. Um, I have to say, I, I have to offer my thanks first up to CBS and to the Star Trek.com team for uh, giving me this opportunity to, to write something for the official Star Trek website. It is an honor and a privilege, and I'm grateful that they gave me this forum to talk about something so personal. I, um, I went to them and, and pitched the idea of you know, essentially writing an article about what I've learned from Saru with regard to my journey in, in anxiety and learning about my anxiety. And it turned into a piece that, uh, has resonated with a great many people. And I've, I've been really fortunate to hear some of that feedback. So, um, it's out there. It's called what I've learned from Saru at the big, you know, at the top of the page is a giant photo of me and, and Doug Jones. And, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of this piece and, and hopefully what it, uh, what people may get from it. And, um, it just it was it was important for me to write for myself too, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense, and I think um, you should be extremely proud of that story. I'm extremely proud for what you wrote. Um, it takes a strong person to be able to tell the world, which is what you've done by putting this out there on StarTrek.com about uh, what you've dealt with wang- with anxiety. We've talked about in the past how Star Trek has helped people. And now you have helped people because this story is out there and you've already gotten responses back of how that article has helped. So congratulations, man. I think it's a fantastic uh, thing that you did. And I'm, I, I really look forward to hopefully the opportunity where you can thank Doug Jones um, after this article has been posted, hopefully in Vegas or something like that. I think that would be wonderful. I hope so too. You know, I, I've said all along, kind of like you have with your story about Captive Pursuit, that if this helps one person, mm-hmm. it was ultimately worth it. And uh, going back to to Emily, um, you know, the the, sort of the genesis for this episode, um, she left us a a very nice message at the beginning of their most recent podcast, which you all should check out, Legacy Trek, about what this article meant to her. And that they they were words that really meant a lot to me. And and that alone was reason enough to do this. Um, It made me so thankful that it, it, it touched somebody that young. You know, that, that it meant something to them and it resonated with them and that they could mm-hmm. see that, you know, this is something that, that doesn't just affect young people. It isn't something that affects just, you know, uh, insert description here. This is something that can affect everybody. And uh, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity. Anxiety has no age limit, buddy. And uh, you've done a great job with helping people. I, I, I've had... I've had my own issues through life, not anxiety related, but just reading your article really meant a lot, even to somebody like me who may not suffer from it like others do. So congratulations, bud. Thanks, buddy. So, you know, every now and then we get a comment on our YouTube channel where somebody says, well, you know, the discussion doesn't start until 20 or 30 minutes into the episode. So if you're new to Trek Geeks and you're listening to the podcast, we have historically always had a few segments Hmm. and the main, you know, 
content of the show usually comes in this segment here. So there's always an intro. There's always, uh, there's more often than not, almost always news. And then there's the topic at hand, which today, Dan, is the killing game. Yes. Uh, the season four Voyager two-parter. Uh, it's a, this is a pretty epic, you know, couple of episodes. There's a lot that happens here. Um, and you touched earlier on our reason for doing this. And uh, I'm glad that we finally got a chance to sit down and do it after having to reschedule it a couple of times. Yeah, I'll give it another quick uh, breakdown for me. Those people that didn't listen to the beginning of the show, as you so eloquently pointed out just a minute ago. Um, yeah, we met Emily um, in Albany uh, of, in October of, of 2018, and she's new to Trek Geeks, and and she was uh, very excited to meet us. We loved her. She was a, she was such a sweetheart. She was she drew us a, a, a wonderful picture of of Trek geek for Trek geeks um, that build you have hanging in your office uh, if memory serves correctly. I and do. we totally said, you know what? Welcome to welcome to the family. And we have a homework assignment for you because we know how much kids love homework assignments. And we told her to think of what her favorite episode of Star Trek is. And to leave us a message on our website using that big blue button that I talk about every week and tell us why it's her favorite. So uh, about a week later, lo and behold, we had a voicemail from Emily talking about how her favorite episode is The Killing Game. So we promised her we would do this. I'm so happy that we finally get to do this. We had to we had to um, delay it a little bit due to scheduling and so forth. But we're finally going to dedicate our discussion on The Killing Game and we talked about legacy Trek a few minutes ago on this week's episode of legacy Trek. Uh, her dad, Mike and her spoke about the fact that we were going to be talking about it. And she actually thought that we had forgotten that we were going to do this for absolutely not. My absolutely dear, we've not. been looking forward to this and uh, uh, I'm, I just want to, I loved it. Bill hated the episode. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, well, we're very excited to, uh, to be doing this. Uh, right, Bill. Well, you know, that's the challenge with podcasting is scheduling. I mean, mm. You know, uh, based on guest availability or surprises that come up, sometimes you have to move the schedule around, and it it really killed us to have to do because, you know, we were excited to do it, but unfortunately, it was something that had to happen. But we're just grateful that we can talk about it now. Right. So we mentioned that we wanted Emily to do homework, and that she sent us a voicemail. We're going to play that voicemail about why she likes the Killing Game right now. Hi, Bill and Dan. It's Emily, your biggest little fan. This side of the Alpha Quadrant. I'm submitting my podcast homework on why I love The Killing Game, and thanks for the shirt. As I told you, Seven of Nine is my favorite character, and I really like episodes she sings in. One of my favorite parts is when the Doctor and Harry Kim jam her neural interface while she's singing Black Magic and she knows something is wrong and needs to take a break. Everything and everyone she knows is different, so she quickly has to learn and pretend she knew what she was doing. I also really enjoy most of the characters doing things they don't normally do, like Tuvok as a bartender and Neelix as a Klingon. I also like the historical aspect of the holodeck simulation. Finally, I like that Captain Janeway still wants to help the Herodian and give them holodeck technology, even though they treated her and the crew so bad. I'm looking forward to your review of the episode. Bye for now. I can tell you right now, Bill, she already is. She's going to be a great podcaster. <laughs> Emily, thanks so much for that voicemail. Um, I can totally respect all of that. I really can. However, <laughs> no, I'm gonna. Uh, we'll probably start with this part first because you teased it a little bit ago. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of this episode. I uh, there are some parts of it I think are really fantastic. All right, so let me. Uh, I'll start with that first. I mean, let's mm-hmm. let's 
let's not sure. go right to the things that I don't like. Let's actually talk about some of the things that I do like. I can I tell you that Janeway makes a fantastic Klingon. That she opening better, tease is pretty fantastic. She, she makes a better it. Klingon than Neelix does. Well, <laughs> that's really not a big stretch. <laughs> that's a low bar, you know. Yeah. I, um, I, no, that whole opening tease is pretty interesting. Um, I, I do like the fact that. You know, the Hirogen are in control of the ship. I want to know how they became in control of the ship. Like, yeah. there's an entire, uh, you know, I, I still need to watch the couple of episodes before this. I don't know if that's ever explained because I had to skip my, you know, my watch order. But, it's not. You know, so for 17 days or whatever it is, they've had control of the ship. They've been putting them through battles and stuff. And um, I'm curious as to how they wound up settling on World War II. Well, I, that brings up a point that I I don't want to talk about yet because it's it's talking about a point that I actually didn't like a whole lot. But maybe since we're bringing that up, I should just say it right now anyway. What yeah, go think? ahead, good. Ahead. Okay, go ahead. one of the things I found interesting is at one point in their ready room, the um, the leader of the Herogen, um is talking about the different simulations that he wants to look at, and he turns the little computer console around to his second in command to show him the Borg. Um, I'm like, hello, you're <laughs> hello. The Borg are here. Why don't you know who the Borg are? That, I found that very strange, but then he brought up the fact that he's found the simulation about a, a, a conflict that took place on their home planet called world war two and everything. So it's like, okay, first of all, you know about the Borg. So why are you acting like you're surprised that they fought the Borg at wolf three, five, nine? I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, when I was taking notes on this, that was one of the first things I wrote down is like, uh, he doesn't know about the Borg. That's the way it sounded anyway. I mean, I'm like, you're in the Delta Quadrant, mister. I mean, the the Voyager's already been in Borg space. Yeah. They've got a Borg on board. How have they not heard of this? We'll we'll let it slide because Emily loves it. Emily (laughs) does love it. And we love Emily. Yes. Um, You know, I thought that the Alpha Herogen was was really great in this episode. Yes. He, he definitely was a different kind of Herogen. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated that he was trying to do something for his species uh, for the long term. You know, he, he knew that what they were doing was essentially unsustainable and there was nothing to bind them together um, as, a, as a species necessarily. And I thought that this was really some, some good outside the box thinking on his part. Although I think that the critical flaw in this was that he seemed to be um, addicted to the holodeck more than he was the hunt. Is that, does that make sense? I think so. I thought it was interesting that I think, or, or as I was watching this again recently, I kind of think that the Herogen as a race and how they're written is flawed along the lines of how I used to think the Ferengi were written. The only thing they cared about was profit, the Herogen. The only thing they care about is the hunt. And how is a species going to evolve when all they are focused on is that one thing? They can't evolve as a species. They can't, you know, obviously they can't have technological advances because they don't have holodeck technology until Janeway gives it to them. And we'll get into that later. But um, it's just one of those things that, as I was watching this episode, I'm like, they are so focused on this one thing. They're never going to succeed. That's why I liked this commander of the Herogen because he was thinking outside the box. So that's I'm, wa- I'm wondering, 
I'm wondering what the hunt actually was in this because they knew that the Voyager crew was the resistance. It's not like they had to figure out who the resistance was. Um, so what was the hunt? I, I did I miss something here? Uh, Emily loves it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I t- I totally see what you're saying. I mean, it it brings the whole the question of well, the the hunters will will really do what they're supposed to do with the holodeck safeties off. But yeah, you're right. They know who they need to be going after. So is it really? What was the challenge? I mean, he, one of the hunters at one point told Janeway to run so that he could hunt her. It's like, okay, well, you're doing, but at that point she was Janeway. Oh, well, yeah, but still what I mean is that it's like, it's that, that type of thinking, they know who they are in the holodeck, even if they're playing different characters. So just go after them. I I totally see what you're saying. And it it was, it was a frustration point. I will say. Can I tell you though, that Catherine Janeway has a better French accent than Jean-Luc Picard? (laughs) <laughs> yes leave the war outside <laughs> her pronunciation was was fantastic mm-hmm. but you know when patrick stewart does it it still sounds like a, a british guy trying to say french words <laughs> very nice very nice <laughs> let me let me let me tell you one thing i mean we are gonna i think what we'll do is, is we'll go back and forth and things that we like versus yeah. things we don't like because i don't want to oh, pile oh, on. will we will yeah, we I, I would like to if we could mr executive producer could i could i pose the question to the floor uh i'll allow it okay thank you one of the things I did not like about the Herogen, and it might just be this one particular episode, is they seem to use, and this isn't, I'm sorry, this isn't about the Herogen. This is about the production. They seem to use fisheye lenses a lot in this episode. And they seem to use them a lot when they were doing close-ups of the Herogen, when they were talking, especially the second in command, they did that a lot. And yeah. for me, that close-up with the kind of distorted look of the close-up made the Herogen makeup look extremely fake, and you could tell that it was latex. I like the aliens in Star Trek where they don't have a lot of latex, or when it's done correctly, like with Saru, where you don't have that look where you can tell that it's fake. And for me, that took away from some of the scenes because it looked so odd. Interesting. I didn't have that reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that... I, I don't think the Herogen's express um emotion as well through their face like say doug jones does his saru on discovery mm-hmm. um because you know the makeup is different and it's applied differently the technology you know 25 years later is much different but i thought that with their voices they did a much better job of conveying the emotion um, because they had to compensate for that you know you couldn't really see a lot of the you know the, the brow decreases you know yep. or or or, or emotional responses like that. So there were times where you had to rely on the words that were being spoken. And mm-hmm. I thought that that was very effective, you know, whereas uh, mainly they just look, looked like expressionless reptiles to some extent. Yes. Um, I, I thought that the actors playing Herogen really did a fantastic job in that regard. One of the things I like most about the Herogen, when they are Herogen, they are scary. When they are Nazis, they look silly. But when they are the Herogen on Voyager in those giant blue suits with the helmets yeah. on that look really scary, they look really badass. When they take the helmets off, their heads look kind of funny, so they're not as scary looking to me. But Herogen, Herogen versus Herogen Nazi, Herogen, Herogen looks a lot scarier to me. I'm going to say Tony Todd is still the best Herogen we've ever seen. Absolutely. 100%. Um, hands down, because he's got the voice mm-hmm. and he's got the presence Yes. Um, I still, I mean, it's still my favorite. What can I say? Yeah. Um, uh, tell me something else you really dig about this episode. 
I I really like the performance that all of our crewmates play in the simula in the World War II simulation. Um, you know, Kath- Catherine is as the bartender, as the as the restaurant owner, and Tuvok as the bartender. Seven of Nine playing her playing the singer with kind of that attitude that she has as as Seven of Nine. And I thought those all played very well for the resistance. I really like the resistance characters in this two-parter. Chakotay and Paris as the um, American uh, soldiers, a little bit different opinion on that. I thought that was a little cheesy. But that core group at the restaurant all the time with the decoding um, and the code was on the back of the wine label. Stuff like that I really, really enjoyed. And and made me think of World War II movies that I've that I've watched in the past. So I did like that aspect of it. So I got to tell you this. So the first time I, I I sat down to watch this for the podcast, um, I got to the decoder scene, and I don't remember ever having seen that scene before. And as they're going through this, I said to myself, "If this spells out, don't forget to drink your Ovaltine." I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's great. Oh, but that's beautiful. <laughs> Thankfully, it, it didn't. <laughs> but I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, if this says something about Ovaltine, I'm going to throw a brick through my television. <laughs> that's awesome. It makes you think, you know, what they were doing probably really happened in World War II. Can you imagine having to decode something like that just by listening to somebody on the radio and the, the no. sentences that they're saying and you have to use the fifth vowel and the, th- oh my God, that would just blow my mind. And you see how important that is when later on Neelix is being hassled by the Nazis and he loses one bottle of wine that had the code on it. So they were going to miss the next message. Very, very cool how they worked that in. I liked it. I have to say, I do appreciate that attention to detail in this episode. Mm-hmm. It added a layer that I thought was really interesting. You know, they weren't just, well, we have to fight the Nazis. I mean, this was an organized resistance, you know, that was working with the allies and they brought that forward, you know, through the history, which I thought was fantastic. I have yeah. to say, uh, Jerry Ryan has a delightful voice. She Very. really can sing wonderfully. You know, I got to wonder, was it this episode because she does a fantastic job in this episode. Is it this episode that was the starting point for the Doctor and Seven singing escapades that we saw in later seasons of Voyager? If you haven't seen that, Bill, spoiler alert, get ready, because you're going to see more singing in the future. I think I have seen that. They sing like You Are My Sunshine or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I, this left me wondering why Jerry Ryan didn't do like an album like Brent Spiner did his old Yellow Eyes oh. is Back album, mm-hmm. you know, of like 40s standards, because I think that would have been fantastic. I would have bought that, you know, hands down. So a little digression there, but I thought she was really fantastic. Here's a, another little digression, and I don't, I'm not trying to be, you know, a bad person or, or, or anybody get offended by this. Oh, you're a bad person. She looked unbelievably gorgeous in those singing scenes the hair uh, kudos to the wardrobe and the makeup department and the hair people on voyager the hair the lipstick the way that she looked in those scenes when she was singing when she was singing made me think that she was in world war ii time frame it was it was phenomenally done i think it was i thought it was just masterful it looked like she stepped right out of a out of a 40s era movie it was yeah. She looked like, you know, uh, a, a star of the day. And mm-hmm. It was, it was fan- a fantastic job. I have to agree. Um, I appreciated the idea of the Voyager crew assuming the roles of the resistance. But I wonder in hindsight if it wouldn't have been more effective 
if they didn't have to deal with the whole neural transmitter thing and you know, give them sort of amnesia. Mm-hmm. Would it have been more effective if they have just put them in the middle of the simulation and they had to figure out what they were supposed to do to defeat the Herogen? Would that have made it more challenging for both sides? Um, my first thought on that is it would have made it more challenging for the crew, but yeah. not for the hunters. So that's probably why the hunters didn't want to do that. That's my first thought. Because otherwise it seems like shooting fish in a barrel, you know? Yeah. Uh, we, well, that's well, that's kind of like the what we were just talking about a few minutes ago. You know, they they know who the people from the Voyager crew are in the simulation, so why not just target them? So they kind of are, it it can be a back and forth discussion. I'm I'm sure I don't have time. Yeah. For that. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Well, thank you for informing what you do and do not have time for, Mister Executive Producer. Uh, sorry, sorry. Um, uh, another thing that I that I liked about this was how they were able to work in Roxanne's real life pregnancy into the holodeck. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was, that was pretty good. I do liked that aspect of the storyline. I liked that it was the child of a Nazi officer and, you know, uh, Tom Paris's character shows up going, (laughs) what's this? (laughs) Yeah. Golly gee willikers. Um, (laughs) or whatever he said in forties language, you know, cause they spoke weird back then. They did. Uh, (laughs) um, No, I, I, I appreciated that aspect of it, um, especially for what it would mean for a young French woman of that, you know, that era. I mean, because you want to talk about taboo, not only is she unmarried, pregnant, but she's also having the child of a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why this woman wasn't spat on in the streets. Well, she actually was. We saw, that's what, what I was just going to talk about. Oh, yeah, yeah, the true, first true. time that we see her, we see the, that, the two elderly women walking towards the camera and, and, they, the, yeah. and I'm just like, Oh, that's not yeah. good. Yeah. But so, I mean like mm-hmm. everybody, I was everybody. Saying, why weren't the Nazis oh, yeah. spitting on her too? I mean like, you know, she's, uh. no, so, you know. but I thought it was also wonderfully p- played by Roxanne Dawson too. Um, and like you said, a really great use of her real life pregnancy, which they've been trying to hide up until this point. Sure, sort of like they did with uh, with Gates McFadden and, and TNG by having her wear the the bigger uh, looking uh, lab coat, so they would yeah. have Roxanne wearing the engineering coat, which all of a sudden just showed up on Voyager when that happened. Um, it, it, it looks you know, just like another, her uniform. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it it also made me think. You know, this episode has a lot of things that make you really think about what happened during the real life conflict in in world war ii roxanne's character brigitte i think was her name she purposely got pregnant from this nazi commandant so that she could help spy for the resistance that just blows my mind of what people actually sacrificed during those real times and it makes it's one of the things i like about star trek it makes you think about stuff like that well, and if that were, you know, that character were a real person, this person would have to live with that for the rest of their lives. Every time they looked at that child, they would have to be reminded of the fact that, you know, I, lo- I had a relationship with this Nazi to try to save the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's pretty weighty. I mean, that's, uh, they don't really delve into that in the episode, but if you carry that forward, I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's some pretty impressive writing right there. Yeah, it really is. And, and you got to give my uh, hats off to, to the writing people for for throwing in those nuggets from time to time in this episode so bill here we are settling into the month of march here in early 2019 and we already have one new star trek pin this month uh, to talk about yes 
Mirror Landry from Star Trek Discovery is now available for you to add to your collection from our good friends at Fansets. You know, as always, their pins continue to be of the highest quality, and there are things on the horizon that you would not even believe, my friend. <laughs> oh, my God. Right you are, Dan. You know, one of the things we love about Fansets is they have so many great ideas for pins, and they always come out so great and so amazing. As we talk Voyager today, we're excited that the next pin to be released on March 15th is none other than Mr. Tom Paris. And as the folks of Fansets have announced during this year, they're going to release the remainder of the main crews for all of the Star Trek shows, which is really exciting. That is very cool. There's a lot of them out there, but there's a lot missing, so we'll be able to fill in those uh, remaining crews. It's very cool. But, you know, Fansets is not just about Star Trek, buddy. Lou and John from Fansets wanted to let everyone know that very soon they will be introducing pins for shows like Supernatural and Big Bang Theory, which is very cool. Uh, And fans of DC can look forward to pins exclusively on the DC Universe App Store for stuff from Titans Doom Patrol, and Young Justice. Lots of very cool things are in the works. And as a special bonus to Trek Geek listeners, if you would like to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, even if you order some of that non-Star Trek stuff, simply enter the word SPOCK at checkout. All capitals and no spaces. And FYI, if you want to know what that code refers to, you're going to want to have to listen to Discovering Trek this week because it's big. This code will be available until midnight on Sunday, March 10th, 2019. So don't delay. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. So, Dan, as we get back to the killing game, I want to talk about the end of part one really quickly, because uh, as you know, this is big simulation on the holodeck. The the Herogen have enslaved the Voyager crew to turn the whole ship into essentially one giant holodeck by putting emitters everywhere, and there's obviously power concerns. And at one point, there was an explosion of the Nazi headquarters in the holodeck simulation, which takes out a good chunk of four decks of the USS Voyager. Help me understand this. So because dumb. This makes... Okay, okay, so you can't help me understand it is what I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, you know, every once in a while, there are flaws in an episode that you really can't just overlook, and that's one of the flaws. Now, I could try to be a good guy and say, well, you know, the holodeck safeties are off, so even though they're simulated explosions... They're explosions because of this because of this whole failsafe thing, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have had nearly the problem with it if Harry Kim hadn't said it was a simulated mm-hmm. explosion. Now, yes, holographic bullets can kill if the safeties are off. I get it, but at the end of the day, they're still holograms. Mm. It's not going to necessarily, you know, um, take out a big part of the ship. If he had just said there's been an explosion in the holodeck. I'm all in. But I think it was just the one word that really threw me. I'm like, why would it destroy four decks? Hello? You just said something, and I'm I'm, I'm sorry. It made me think of First Contact. This is instant lynch. Even a holographic bullet can kill. I just, (laughs) you said that, and it made me think of that. So, um, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. I I know. It's one of those things. I think that what we've seen sometimes in Voyager and, and the other Star Trek shows, but we have seen it in Voyager is sometimes with the writing, there are some things that we have to just go with in order for us to continue the story along to get to the end result that the writers wanted us to see. And is it possibly something 
we've talked about when we talked about all good things on uh, for the finale of, of TNG, the huge mistake that it was the Pasteur that sent out one of the the emissions um, instead of the Enterprise, which is was supposed to be. Nobody knew that for like ten years, and I think Ron Moore talked about it. His son pointed it out after the fact. Is what happened here with this whole thing with the simulated explosions? Maybe something along the same line. Somebody just wrote it wrong. I don't. I don't know. I, I got to throw my hands up. I'm gonna throw my hands up. Throw my you hands did, up. in fact, throw your hands up. I did. Now, are you gonna wave them like you just don't care? Don't. No, don't you're not. Me. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's interesting. And going back to, you know, the the the, the genesis of, of this episode and when it was being written, there's an interesting note on Memory Alpha. Um, and I'm just I'm just gonna read it verbatim because I think it's interesting, and I'll I'll see what you think about it. The specifics of how the characters would be transported into the World War II setting still had to be devised. Quote: So we were struggling with how this was going to happen. Joe Manoski related. He was one of the authors of the uh, of the script with Brandon Braga. Quote: In my original story, I had the hunters having a kind of hunting scenario planet. It was like a planetary holodeck, and we found ourselves down in a simulation because they drove us there. But in working out the story, when we were all together as a staff team, Ken Biller came up with the idea that it was on our own holodeck. Minoski also stated, Ken Biller had the good idea of putting it on a holodeck and making this the big holodeck episode of the year. That was the last key to getting things rolling in terms of actually starting to write the episode. I actually like the idea of a holographic um, planet scenario, hunting planet, much more. I think that that probably would have been a, a much more um, uh, interesting and and scary episode, quite frankly. I don't want to give away any spoilers to you, but I'm going yeah. to. I, <laughs> Thank you. And I'm Thank sorry. You. I'm, I'm a little confused. I could be confusing 8472 with the Herogen right now. But later on, there is like a giant space station that Voyager comes into contact with that is pretty much a giant holodeck simulation I can't remember what species it is. So they kind of do that later anyway. Uh, If I remember correctly now, anybody please correct me if I'm wrong, um, because it does happen once in a while. Um, But that that's popping into my head right now. As you talk about, I think that idea is pretty cool too. It made me think of the movie predators. As soon as you started reading that quote, where the whole planet was set up as kind of like a hunt. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that would have been, that would have been very interesting. I do like the fact that, all the writers are talking about the fact that there is a holodeck episode always planned for every season. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, is it though? Have no, we d- that's what I mean. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> so when I told you I was watching, you know, while I was recuperating from my my various plagues, I told you I was watching the Killing Game, and mm-hmm. and you said, "Oh, cool. I like part one, but part two, eh." So why why the difference? Why don't you like part two as much as part one? Well. Uh, in order to say that, I have to say that since I watch part two again, specifically for this podcast, I have a different view on it than I did in the past. Okay. So I why don't actually, you tell us why you didn't like it before and then jump forward as to why you changed your mind? I didn't, I didn't like the way I didn't like the flow of part two back in the day. I'm like, okay, it's kind of clunky. They keep going. Okay. Yeah. Neelix Klingons, blah, blah, blah. You will listen, blah, blah, core, blah, whatever. And I just didn't like how things went from scene to scene. It was a little jumpy to me, the way that the um, uh, Herogen commander and his second in command dealt with things. The I, I just didn't like the second 
part story. I really did not like the whole allied forces and how they were, especially Chakotay and, and Tom Paris. Rewatching it though, I have a better respect and uh, and I guess admiration for the episode. I I thought it flowed better watching it now, and, and I probably have not watched Killing Game for four or five years at least until we watched it for this podcast. So I had a better appreciation for it, I guess is the, is the best way to put it. Um, I was able to overlook some of the things that before I wouldn't have, like when the second in command was hunting Janeway and she's hiding behind the plating that had fallen down. And as a hunter, you're not just going to sit there and wait for her to do something. You're going to kill her immediately when you see her that's what a herogen is, is supposed to do but instead he just kind of listens to her and he walks closer so that the um whatever was causing the disruption in the holographic uh, weapon could make his gun disappear I, I just didn't like how that went the first time the second time i kind of appreciated it a little bit better gave it a little bit more drama and i can appreciate that the writers wanted to have that in the story so i actually kind of liked the second part a little more than the first part uh, i watched it again today and i thought that there, the action carried better in the second part than it did in part one. At first, I was wondering why this was a two-part episode, because I feel like they could have done this in an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I watched the second part again, I get that there was really kind of an episode and a half here, and not maybe two full parts. Um, but I actually kind of liked that sequence. I kind of really enjoyed when you know the, the second in command of the Harrigan told Janeway to run, mm-hmm. because it's like, uh, it's on now. You want to hunt? Okay. That part was hunt. cool. Yeah. That part yeah. was really cool. I didn't mind the holographic bit. Um, you know, we knew Janeway wasn't going to die, um, but Janeway also wasn't going to input the self-destruct code, which would have ended the series. <laughs> <laughs> which theoretically, by Starfleet yeah. rules, she should have done. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the other thing I don't get: Why does Harry select a nine-minute countdown? I. I don't, <laughs> why couldn't it, it should have been forty-seven minutes? As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> it should have been ten seconds. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, um, Let me ask you this. But no, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, we're on this. Uh, we're on the part of uh, part two. We talked about the simulated explosion in part one that damaged four decks, and the argument back and forth of 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 whether that should have happened. If they're using the holographic bombs to put under sick bay so that they can um, have all of the transmitter shut off, why is that any different? I don't know. I was. Yeah. I have that same question myself. Um, if all of a sudden these holographic bombs are, are real bombs, um, wh- why did it not destroy sickbay? Well, it did. Uh, did it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sickbay was sickbay was blown away. <laughs> big, big explosion right up out, out the doors into the hallway because they were planted underneath that deck. Um, but the question is, if they're holographic bombs. Okay. Is it a I'm, simulated I'm explosion? Yeah. I just, I forgot that part. So. Um. Oh, that's okay. It's just, but, it, but this, it's the same thing. Simulated explosion in the holodeck, destroying the four decks. But even though and it's the same thing in part two with the bombs under sick bay, they're holographic bombs, but because of the safety protocols being turned off, they're legitimate bombs kind of goes back. You can, you can have this. It's like a time vortex. You can just, talk about it forever and, and oh, yeah. talk yourself totally, in and out of stuff. Totally gives you a headache. It's really nice that they can get sick bay back to working order for next week though. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you why I liked part one better. And this is a very yeah. quick thing. Cause I know we want to move on to the next thing. 
I liked what we saw in part one with the simulation when we first met these people in the restaurant singing. The next day, Neelix riding the bike with the bread and having to deal with being bullied by some of the officers. Then later on, we see them again being bullied and shot in the back by the Nazis, Seven and Neelix. I like that idea of seeing the outside of what's going on in this village and to give you an idea of what life was like um, during occupations like that, where I thought part two was more inside places. You didn't get that outside feel except for when they were fighting at the end, which really didn't look really all that you know, like it was in a real expansive outdoor area, but I just kind of like that whole storyline in part one about knowing what these people were going through as people who were thrust into the simulation of world war two. Interesting. I, um, I can appreciate all that. And you're right. The whole bomb thing is a, is a circular argument, argument. It's chicken and egg. It's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, you're just never going to get a, a good response on it. Just, it happened, you know, right. Yeah. Ultimately, I don't think it necessarily takes away from the episode, but as I was watching it, you know, essentially for the first time, uh, it really just sort of made me did scratch my head. Um, I want to talk about the ceasefire and sort of the uh, the dialogue between the Alpha Herogen and Janeway in the ready room, um, because I I understand what he's trying to do for his people, and I, I even at the end of this episode, I'm wondering if I, I can't decide if the guy was crazy. Or if he was brilliant, and I'm kind of on the fence between them, um, because the second in command was going to go along with him and up to a point, as we demonstrated in this episode. Um, but was he was he crazy or was he brilliant? Well, I talked about that a little bit earlier when I talked about the fact that this guy was thinking outside the box, and he knew that his species had been focused on this way of life that was holding them back. And in order for them to be able to continue to thrive as a race, they needed to have a new way of thinking. And he was that person. It's ironic that this World War II simulation dealt with a resistance because he was starting this resistance of starting something new with the Herogen. So I think he was brilliant, personally. I, okay. No, I, I respect that. I think he's a little column A, a little column B. Um, I may be ahead of his time. Maybe the other Herogen couldn't really grasp what he was trying to bring to the table for their species. I don't know. Here's one thing that I'll add to what I was saying. I think he was brilliant, but I think he was blind to any deviation from what he wanted to do with the plan, which could make him a little oh, crazy. Yeah. He wasn't willing to listen to anything. He was going to do this, and it cost him his life. It really did. Um, I, I did like the scenes between him and Janeway in the ready room. Because I thought it added the most context of the episode. I thought it would have been better to have some of that up front mm-hmm. um, to to sort of lay the groundwork for some of this. Um, I, yeah. I think that there are great pieces of this episode all over the place. I just don't know if they're in the right order, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. I will say one of the things, I also love that ready room scene. And I love the way that the Herogen changed the ready room with all of the things on the yeah. wall and the nets and stuff like that. It made me think of Predator. Um, which when yeah. you think about it, the Herogen are, are predators. Um, I really like that. Um, you're right. Things were out of order, but I, I, I do, you, you may have this later in the list. And if so, just say that's coming up later, Dan, because it just popped in my head. Janeway gave him Holodeck technology, dude. <laughs> Let's, do okay. do Let's do it now. Okay. What so, the hell? <laughs> I, I walked away from this going, wait, so she Gave him the technology anyway? 
Um, and, and they did it simply so they wouldn't be enslaved as prey. Um, I, I, I'm stammering because I just, I don't, I don't get it. I feel like that that's kind of the opposite of, of what we expect our Starfleet crew to do. Oh, we want to save our lives here, here. You can use this to build your own holodeck. Here you go. Uh, 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 help me. I, I totally, I can understand why she decided to do this, but, and I, I understand that the Herogen are a warp capable society and that they might not be under the umbrella of the prime directive, but she 100% totally changes the flow of that civilization with that one little box that she hands them. And that's just, that just blows my mind that that everybody was just so okay with that. That entire race is now forever changed. And they're um, the way that they do things right from that moment are completely different than what they were the moment before. And it's just very hard for me to grasp. I can appreciate that. She says, yeah, you're going to hang this on your wall if you want to, or you can put it to good use. I just, she's handing it over to them and I'm going, (laughs) (laughs) maybe Dr. Moriarty was in that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, these here, they don't strike me as uh, scientists. (laughs) They don't strike me as engineers. Maybe. I mean, maybe they are if they have to be, but um, I I just, I, I, I was stunned at that development because it just seemed like, I would expect that of an ensign. I would expect yeah. that of, you know, maybe special guest star of the week who does something that, you know, like, uh, like Worf's brother, mm-hmm. you know, um, when he, uh, in the, in the episode, was it Homeward? Um, uh, whatever it is, uh, yeah, played by, uh, Paul Sorvino. Um, yeah. I expect that, you know, that to be done and, and the captain sure. then has to deal with that repercussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. I get. I mean, they didn't even want to give some race their stories so that they could get transporter technology to get closer to home earlier in the yeah. Voyager. Season yeah. one or right. two. Right. And now they're given over holodeck technology simply just to get away with their skins. I, I hate to say this because I've said it so many times and it sounds like I'm bashing Voyager. And I really am not. I, as I've said a hundred times, I have a new appreciation of Voyager since I rewatched it on H&I a couple, over the last couple of years. This one moment to me makes me think that, okay, they had this much longer than it should have been two-part episode with this huge storyline and, and special effects Oh my God, we only have two minutes more before we have to wrap up this episode. Give them holodeck technology so they can all fly off in their different directions and everybody's happy. The end. That makes me think that could be what happened. Yeah, and I don't want this to seem like I hate the episode because I don't. I mean, this is not a terrible episode. But as somebody watching this for the first time, especially when I have other new Star Trek that I'm watching, like mm-hmm. Discovery, and without giving any Discovery you know, details away that those episodes are crafted very differently. I wonder if that colored my perception on watching the killing game. I, I have to assume that's possibly true, although it's hard for me to say. Right. And, and I'm, I'm with you. I don't hate this episode at all. I enjoy this episode a lot and I'm thrilled that Emily thinks this, it says that this is her favorite one. It's, there's a lot in this episode to love. Um, I think as she watches other episodes, she may have different ideas about about different episodes. But uh, there are parts of the episode that make me kind of scratch my head. But it's still an enjoyable 
two episodes of Voyager. It's no year of hell, but it's it's still it's still fun to watch. Well, you know, that's it. Year of hell has already happened at this point, right? So I've watched that and I'm going, wow, that was pretty fantastic. And mm-hmm. then you're thinking, well, this is going to be another two-part event. And exactly. I, f- I feel like there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of holes here and I don't mean in the holodeck. That's <laughs> 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 Simulated explosions. <laughs> I do have to say that I really liked the introduction of the Klingons. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You know, uh, when they come, you know, barreling over the barricades in France, I'm like going, all right, this is actually pretty fun. I got a huge smile on my face and I'm like going, all right, so we got Nazis versus Klingons. This sounds like, you know, aliens versus cowboys or whatever that movie was. Yeah. It Um, sounds like a bad B movie. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was fun. It was really fun. It was. And you know, we don't see the gore, but that scene where that commandant gets killed that's pretty gruesome. I mean, you see his point of view is this bat less coming down into his chest. That's pretty That's pretty uh, intense, but uh, he deserved it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and um, I will say in regards to the Klingons, one thing I didn't like about part two, and I touched on a little bit, is, again, here we are with Klingons being drunk, and all they're thinking about is going into battle, and the stereotype that we sometimes see with the Klingons sometimes gets a little too much for me. Um, luckily we had the, or unluckily we had the humor of Neelix as a Klingon for those scenes. Um, but I did think of that when we were watching those scenes of the campfire uh, with the Klingons. Yeah, no, I thought that, that that was fun when Neelix was trying to get them to do what he wanted to do. I actually rather enjoyed that scene. Okay. Um, him and the doctor, it was a, it was a nice break in the seriousness of the rest of the episode. And ultimately I don't think you realize until it happens that the Klingons are going to come in and save the day, or the holographic Klingons, I mean. But um, I just thought it was a really nice way to, to tie up that loose end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I thought that that provided can, probably the best ending possible. I can agree with that. Yeah. Because uh, those scenes were were pretty lighthearted, with, especially with Neelix. Though they were. I just, I meant the whole part, like we saw it at the beginning with Janeway. Um, yeah. Klingons battling with steel blades instead of phasers whatever but later on every time we saw those klingons at the campfire they were always drunk they were always eating horribly with no manners um and they were always talking about blood and death (laughs) so they were klingons exactly yeah so dan final thoughts on killing game it is a fun two-parter it has its flaws but i think that it is based on what we see later on in the series it's I will say it's an essential two episodes to watch for Voyager. I really do think that we get to see characters acting uh, a little bit outside their norm, which we loved in far beyond the stars on deep space nine. This is not Mm -hmm. really that much different. Um, So it's, it's fun. There's some fun aspects to it. There's some seriousness. It makes you think because they do what star Trek does. It makes you think about real life events. Um, Even though it's got its flaws, it is something that I think people should watch uh, if they're being told what uh, episodes of Voyager are, are are critical and crucial. You mean like going to see it or skip it? <laughs> because I would absolutely say see it. Yes, I would definitely give it a see it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How about you? No, uh, other thoughts for you? I think there's still things to appreciate about this episode. I mean, I did have a lot of questions watching it really for the first time. Um, but on subsequent rewatches, some of it made sense and others of it was just like, why did they make that decision? Ultimately, I I still enjoyed it as a couple of hours of television. And like I said, I wouldn't turn it off if it were on. It's not like this is, um, 
the muse from deep space nine, which I just won't watch. Right. Um, right. Because that's just a putrid episode. But um, <laughs> no, I thought this is, you know, Emily, this is a great example of what we refer to as the champion rule and that somebody's favorite episode might also be somebody's least favorite episode because people like different things. And I like this episode. I just don't love it. That's probably the best way to, to state it. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I like it. I like it a lot. But I don't love it. I, I I will always I will always put Year of Hell on a on a plateau um, when I'm talking about great Voyager episodes, especially two parters, uh, any two parters in any of the Star Trek series. But this was this one's this one's enjoyable. It's not one like you said. If I'm flipping through the stations or if I'm flipping through Netflix, I'll throw it on purposefully. Uh, if it's yeah. on uh, BBC America, it's on, I'll I'll watch it. I won't skip past it, and uh, it's got some good stuff. And I, and I'm glad that Emily enjoys it as much as she does. Absolutely. So we send our best to Emily and Mike, and thank you so much for 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 your homework and for uh, for becoming our friend. We are grateful to uh, to have you out there, and uh, we look forward to hearing more from the Legacy Trek podcast too. Dan, we're also looking forward to hearing more from our friends, the band Five Year Mission, without whom this podcast would not be nearly as awesome as it already is because of your dulcet tones and your mellifluous voice. Hmm. I know, right? I'm saying the I, same I, thing. I appreciate we want, that. We want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Go get all their albums. Seriously, I mean, you got year one, year two, year three, Spock's Brain, Trouble with Tribbles. And now, of course, year four, which has been out for some time. If you haven't picked it up yet, you're really doing yourself a disservice. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Go get all their albums, yo. Uh, speaking of year four, I don't know if anybody on Facebook who might be uh, following Five Year Mission uh, or or FARC or whomever, they actually pulled names out of a hat the other day for who's going to be doing what with year five. It's coming down the road. So that's very cool. But Bill, I got to say, it's no real secret that season two of Discovery is dealing with a search for Spock, so to speak, right? Um, so with that in mind, it made me think of the movie itself, of that same title the other day. You know, the one where previously the drummer had died in the last movie and Kirk went back for him, but he was actually alive again on that planet, but didn't really have any memories because they were mind melded into the lead singer written Hoosen or whatever his name is. You know, you know the one I'm talking <laughs> about, right? <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> thankfully the Vulcan high priestess was familiar with the method to restore those memories to our favorite drummer. You know it. I know it. Thank goodness for the Fark Torpan because that refusion, it, it, it was, it was important and, and it worked. The Fark Torpan. Welcome back. It's good to be here. You, you had two weeks hmm. and that's what you came up with. I, I just I just make the notes of of the amazing movie that I watched. And just you write had it down. two weeks, mm. and you bring Fark. us Fark Torpan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought, you know my my logic is, you know, uncertain where my drummer is concerned. So. Plus, now, don't forget, you can support Discovering Trek and Trek Geeks and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. You can get access to our Carpool Conversations videos and other exclusive content that we'll be bringing you. 
Plus, you can see the first of our brand new annual supporters pins, which Dan is holding in his hot little hands. And you can check out our exclusive Podfleet t-shirt design along with so many perks, Dan. Absolutely. And speaking of Patreon, Bill, uh, we want to take a moment to recognize our wonderful associate producers and producers of Trek Geeks. We are so thankful for their support. So thank you, associate producers, Adam Sanders, Brandon, Brandon Everidge, Harry Michelson, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Peter Craig, Rick Tatro, Robert Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, and Yancey Evans. That's a lot of associate producers, and we are so thankful. (laughs) It's almost eclipsed by the list of producers, which I'm going to go through now. (laughs) Thanks to every single one of them, Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Craig Ewing, Sean O'Halloran, Chris Trebuzio, Eric Extreme, Norman Lau, Mike Bovia, Patrick Escudero, Charlie Mulvey, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. That's a lot. That's so great. Hey, if you would like to become a producer uh, or associate producer of Trek Geeks or even get access to the raw audio of Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek, head right on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks. Next week, Dan, we're going to discuss a topic that we're pretty sure every single Star Trek fan on the planet can relate to. It's not Pon Far. It isn't even the Fark Torpan, which I can't believe I just said that because it was horrible. And Dan, it's not even continuity in canon. It's something far more fun and much more expensive. Uh, very expensive, but oh, so worth it, Bill. Uh, next week, we will tackle the amazing topic of Star Trek collectibles. We were going to do this late in 2018, but we had to reschedule it. You know, from the early days of the horrible Star Trek marketing of toys to the multi-billion dollar business that it is today. What's your favorite collectible? What's mine? Well, next week, you're all going to find out on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Bill. Thank you, Dan. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at the tricordertransmissions.com. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek's yo, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 169 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut. <laughs> two weeks. Two weeks. And all you got is coconut. Oh, I'm saving it up for next week because it's going to be beautiful. I have so. no idea what I'm going to do in two weeks or next week or the week after. <laughs> you had no two idea weeks, what you were going to do today. That didn't stop you. <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producer, Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong. Oh, that's... Hey. Uh, wow, hey, hello, mister. How you, how you doing? How are you? It's good to be here. It's at uh, your age, it's good to be anywhere. Hello! Two weeks. Two weeks? I'm only two weeks older than you. Oh, yeah, but you're still old. That means you're old. You look older, though.
Your face looks older. No, it actually doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Your face looks young and vibrant. <laughs> oh, thank you. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm excited to be here. It's been a while. I feel like we haven't done this in months. It's I mean, been really, a while. It's just been yeah. a couple of weeks, but yeah, we had um, my 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 dad in law passed, and then you yeah. like got the plague, so we didn't get to record last week either. Yeah, I was patient zero. It was like literally the killing game. Oh, you must have been psyched. <laughs> I'm like, he's sick, really. <laughs> I know. I, I get these frantic texts every day. How are you doing today, buddy? You feeling worse? Not, that is such not, a lie. <laughs> not you feeling any better, but you know, he's hoping I kick the bucket. Wow. Um, but yeah, no, I had the flu. It turned into bronchitis. And uh, at one point I sounded like I was dying. Yeah, you did. You did sound. Speaking of speaking of dying, I got to tell you something. Um, I, I, I told Sue about this and I said I was actually going to tell you about it next time we recorded because it was so yeah. special. I had a special dream recently and you were in it. And I want to share it with you here on the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh, God. We were in Vegas. Okay, so far okay. I'm liking the way this shapes up. Yeah, we were at S- I think it was STLV. I'm not 100% positive, but we were at what I think was the Rio. And something happened, and some like gigantically famous, dangerous, mean mobster was after us. Okay. And he, he got to us, and we were in the, I don't know if it was the convention hall at STLV, but it was some big, open, spacious place. And he pulled me aside, and he was going to kill me. And so he's talking to me, and he's got his guys with guns right there. And I talked him out of it. He's like, all right, you're all set. We'll be good. Where's your buddy Bill? Because I got to talk to him next. So I'm like, oh, God, he's going to kill Bill. And uh, so we found you, and I was standing right behind him. And he goes, is this the guy? I said, yeah. He goes, you, come with me. So you and him and a bunch of his thugs go into another area of, of where we're at. And I sit down at a table and start reading a menu. And he's, they've got their guns pointed at you and everything. And you keep like pointing at me, like, help me, help me. And I just kept reading my menu. <laughs> yep. And then finally, all of a sudden, there, you and all of his people are running past me and going up a set of stairs because a security guard saw the guy and recognized him. So you all ran away. So I don't know if he ever killed you or not, but I wasn't really doing anything to stop it. So as far as you know, I got two in the back of the head in the middle of the Nevada desert. It's quite possible. Or a baseball bat like Joe Pesci. Uh, that would be in a cornfield, though. Well, it was still in the desert. A cornfield in the desert, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Corn. It was, a, it was a corn maze. <laughs> maze? Corn, sorry. I don't think corn grows in the sand, dummy. Right. <laughs> but yeah, sorry. So I, I wasn't really there to help you very much, but I did say myself. And so so it was, were you saying it was just like real life? <laughs> And since I'm telling her the story, and she's just looking at me with this grin and and shaking her head like, oh, he's going to love this. So let's recap. You save your own ass, and you just – there's an oncoming bus, and you don't just push me in front of it. I mean, you get a running start, and you throw a, a low tackle, and I'm like, you know – thrown into the path of that oncoming bus not so much that but i think what it was was the bus was was near me and it was parked and the door of the window to the driver was open and i said hey i'll let you know when you should start backing it up or go forward and run the guy over you just wait for my signal i think that's what i did wow yeah so if anything happens to me in vegas now this is recorded for time and all eternity you you now have provided yourself um uh, really, the noose they're going to hang you with at the end really? of the, 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 guy, the trial. The, the guy who said that you're going to be killed in a corn maze in the desert? Yeah, I'm sure they'll trust me. Um, 
Well, they didn't say you were the brightest criminal. In fact, most <laughs> criminals are not bright. <laughs> true, true. I would never let anything. I, I would, I would, uh, I would make sure that they um, didn't hurt you that bad. <laughs> that bad, yeah. Mobsters. Okay. <laughs> Put your head um, in the vice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as we record this, mm. there are 149 days left until Star Trek Las Vegas. That is way too long. Five months, just under That's five months long. to go. That's long. It is now the beginning of March, which is mm-hmm. exciting. Very spring. Turn the oh. clocks. Oh, uh, yes. Hey, we turn the clocks next weekend. By the way, I'll tell you what. The, one of the best days of the year is the Monday after we change the clocks, and we get to drive home in full daylight after work. I love that. Well, right now I don't need a flashlight to take Abby out the first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Next Sunday I will, and I'm fine with it. That's okay. Yeah, because it's just a few more weeks before it's light out again, and then there'll oh. be singing birds and well, in New Hampshire mud season. But yes, do you don't you think they should get rid of that whole turning the clocks thing altogether? I think we should just leave it on daylight savings time and yeah. let it go, which is the yeah. equivalent of Atlantic time, which is one time zone to the east um, east of us. Yes, I would love to just stay on Atlantic time. I would love that. Let's do let's 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 uh, let's write our alderman about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that'll get it done. Yeah. Um, are you ready to do this? I am ready. This I've been looking forward to doing this conversation for a while, so let's do it. I'm glad that's one of us. Here we go. Whoa.